Okay, a reading from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he said, A nobleman went to a distant country to get royal power for himself and then return. He summoned ten of his slaves and gave them ten pounds and said to them, Do business with these until I come back. But the citizens of his country hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to rule over us. When he returned, having received royal power, he ordered these slaves to whom he had given the money to be summoned so that he might find out what they had gained by trading. The first came forward and said, Lord, your pound has made ten more pounds. He said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been trustworthy in a very small thing. Take charge of ten cities. Then the second came, saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. He said to him, And you, rule over five cities. Then the other came, saying, Lord, here is your pound. I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth, for I was afraid of you, because you are a harsh man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked slave. You knew, did you, that I was a harsh man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money into the bank? Then when I returned, I could have collected it with interest. He said to the bystanders, Take the pound from him and give it to the one who has ten pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten pounds. I tell you, to all those who have, more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. So Jesus is in um, Jericho at Zacchaeus' house eating. And he's on his way to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to die. And the people around him, like his followers and the people of the town like Zacchaeus, know that he's on his way to Jerusalem, but they probably hope, as we've covered multiple times in many Easter's, that he is going to claim power as an actual king. Uh, They hope, as our passage starts, that the kingdom of God will appear immediately. And so sitting at the table, he begins to tell a story about a nobleman. What surprises you about this story? Oh, sorry. And you can have the little green man to talk. Oh, hey, Jenny. Green man. Uh, (laughs) Green man is just so it doesn't get lost. You can... It'll pick you up regardless. He likes to hold it. Okay, there you go. That's neat. I like that. Um, I think this is an awful story. That surprised me. Um, I don't get the point. We always talk about, oh, use your... Use your talents. Use what the Lord gave you. But I feel like 
guy who's like, yeah, man, you're scary. I just, here's your money. Here you go. You can have it back. You know, like he's, um, you know, he's fighting against the powers that are in, like, charge of everything and taking everything and reaping what they don't sow. And um, So I'm just surprised that there's something good that comes out of this story. Yeah. Do I get that wishing sound? It's the oh. <laughs> 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 I was like, I was like, oh, what do we do? Okay. Oh, there's here. Don't throw them out. I tried to get like a phone bell or something so we can throw it, but I couldn't find one that was suitable. <laughs> yeah, I do like the green one. I like that. He's a small, short guy. Uh, <laughs> Now, I, I guess the, the obvious thing that just has always confused me on that is the connection between the, the inclusio, the first and the last uh, statements in there. Who is this group of people? Well, I mean, what do they have to do with the stinking parable? It's just like, Luke, what, what's your point in this editing of this text? Um, you have some things here that's not in the other versions. Yeah. Why here, why now, and why do you have it sandwiching here? So yeah. that, that's, a, that's an interesting one to me. Always has been. Yeah. Rogers. Okay, testing. Uh, this, is a, this is a story that I've heard a, a bunch of times, and I never remembered it as three slaves. Mm-hmm. That was number one that was just kind of like, oh, okay. Your slave, take my money and grow it for me. Now you can run cities. That's interesting. <laughs> Second, this is like a, it's almost like a, to me, feels like a very tough love, uh, you know, the, the, the message of, you know, to, to those who have, to those who do and everything, more, more for you, everything, awesome, turn it on all, all the way. Yeah, but if you don't, then you get no more, sorry. It's rough. It's kind of brutal. And at the very end, punctuating with bring him to me and I'll I'll slaughter him. Yeah. (laughs) Just like a, you know, it's it's, it's a, it's one of those almost, I mean, gosh, my mind, I think in images, but of like a a mother dog. Have you ever seen a mother dog bark at her babies? It's brutal. But it's, it's, it's a second and it's a reminder that I'm the one. (laughs) And this is, that's kind of like what I get from in this passage and then also like you know it's don't squander what God has given you to do with and, and what because like that's kind of the whole part of being in his image and, and everything mm-hmm. uh, anyway that's what I've got I find it interesting that um, it's kind of similar to what we talked about last last week with the story of the prodigal son. Like one of the questions that was asked was, "What happens when we uh, remove God from the from like comparing God to the Father in that story?" Yep. And I think we do the same thing in this in this story in a, in a backwards like you know there's a nobleman, so we automatically like if somebody who's in power, and so I automatically like oh that's the God figure in the story, and then he does horrible wow. things, and then I'm like. Wait a minute, what? Like, this is really confusing. Yeah. And, um, but, but Miss Nobleman is not a God figure, because he, like, they, like, they talk about that, that, like, they, um, 
the citizens of this country hated him. And so the delegation after him is like, he's kind of like clearly saying, hello, this is not a good person. Yeah. But so, yeah, so it's, it's weird. And I also, um, I think we often, you know, I think it's, it is a, a parable that, uh, feels very capitalistic. <laughs> and, uh, um, that uh, Americans be like, see, see, I need to just like, I need to like take advantage of the this money that I've been given, and so and uh, make more money, and so. What? Because I just noticed something in this too. Um, you notice in the other parable, the parallel parable, uh-huh. the guy that just has one uh-huh. is punished. Yeah. This guy isn't punished in this parable. This is taken away from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he isn't thrown out when he's weeping and gnashing, gnashing of teeth. Uh, he's, uh, he's just forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And it's these other people that are slaughtered and destroyed. But I do love what you said, Sarah. This, he's, not, he's not the God figure. He really isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's anti, almost anti-God figure. What's the purpose of it, <laughs> Well... And that's, that's what, I, that's what I'm, I, I'm wondering, too. There's a point that makes me wonder if this is, if he's making a reference to something. Because it's such a weird, like, there's a guy, he's going somewhere, he's going to become king, and also there's this group of people that doesn't want him to be king, and they're going to go ahead of him and say that they're not really relevant to the story, but at the end we're going to kill them all. Right? And it's just like, that's what, you know, and then meanwhile, there's this, like, morality play about, you know, I'm going to give you some and see how well you do with investing it, and I'm going to reward you for your investment abilities. <laughs> and then, and then when he's done, it, it, the other, the weird thing to is, like, this isn't one of those parables where he says, the kingdom of God is like, he doesn't say that at the beginning, he just starts telling the story. And then at the end, this isn't one of those, now go and do likewise, or anything like that. He just... It says, after Jesus said this, he continued on ahead, going up. To, he just left. He tells the story. They slaughtered. How about these people slaughtered? I'm out. And he's gone. So, I guess. I don't know. Well, I won't keep you in suspense. There are answers to these questions. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm going to turn it off. Otherwise, it picks up. Yo. Okay. Yes. So... Uh, wonderful points. Uh, I have often or always understood the nobleman to be Jesus, right? Just like we just talked about. So he's about to leave to go claim his heavenly kingdom and to prepare us for his absence. He's explaining that he will give us resources, but that he expects us to grow those resources and that if we do not, uh, we will not be told well done by Jesus when he returns. Um, but that really fits my capitalist worldview. Uh, and it fits well with everything we've ever heard about stewardship, of time, of gifts, and money. But the master, the nobleman, does seem very harsh compared with what we know and are continuing to learn about Jesus. So is Jesus a harsh nobleman who reaps where he doesn't sow, who slaughters the enemies who don't want him to be king, right, over them? Does he say things like, but to everyone who has, more will be given, and from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Uh, hmm. This threatening story 
right? It gives us a really different impression of Jesus' last messages to his father. It's very different from what you hear in John. And John says, you know, in my father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and receive you. And it's like, all of a sudden now he's threatening them and being really harsh. So there's a lot of ways that people have tried to explain this harshness. Um, one of it, Jesus is harsh. <laughs> he sends people to hell. He, you know, has no sympathy for people. And we just have to deal with it, right? Um, maybe he's harsh because he wants us to know he's serious about stewardship. Like, if you don't take advantage of the gifts I give you, I'm going to take them away. Uh, maybe the harshness is just for effect. Maybe it's part of the dramatic telling of the parable. He's like telling it to make you know, your emotions really high, kind of like a good movie or something. Um, and the last thing, of course, is that God is a, a capitalist. Um, but God really does like rely on free market forces. And he's like, all right, if people do things, I'll give them more stuff. And if they don't, I'll take it away. And you got to work. We don't eat. All of the things that you know Puritan said and all the things that our country started on. Um, hmm? if you protest, you're yeah, if you, yeah, if you protest, we're going to kill you. Okay. Uh, so a few months ago, I read a book called Simplicity by Richard Lord. And in it, Lord gives an alternative understanding of this parable, and it absolutely blew my mind. And I've actually been so excited to preach this for like months. And last night I had this dream that I like slept in the day and woke up at seven and realized I'd totally missed this opportunity. <laughs> um, and I, Charles was like, well, we got along. I was like, well, I really wanted to tell them about this. Uh, so, you know, excited to be here. <laughs> um, so when I read this, I just kept thinking about it, thinking about it, and then I told Ryan, and then we talked about it for like two hours on Friday night, which really says something because we're exhausted on Friday nights. Um, so Will actually draws another book called Parables as Subversive Speech, Jesus as a Pedagogue of the Oppressed. Um, it's by Ryan William Herzog. And he also draws on historical context to tell the story in a different way. So, Herod Archelaus was the Jewish leader around the time Jesus was born for about 10 years. And his father was Herod the Great, who was the king when Jesus was born. So Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus, you know, they flew to Egypt to escape the wrath of King Herod. And that was Herod the Great, the father of Archelaus. But while they were in Egypt, Joseph and Mary heard that Herod the Great was dead and that his son was now the king. Now, Archelaus was that son. And because he was so brutal, they decided not to return to the land of Judah, which was the land he was ruling over in the south, but they went to Nazareth up in the north. So Archelaus actually had to go to Rome to receive his kingdom. He was going to be crowned king uh, in Rome by the emperor, and he was also educated there. When he left, he left trusted servants in charge of his wealth and property. Uh, these were slaves, but people who were part of his household. And their job was to make more money for him by any means necessary, including predatory loans and extortion and stealing land from farmers, that type of thing. Uh, and that was completely normal for the time. The 
code of Hammurabi said, you know, if you got a loan from your master that you had to repay it double. So the double is like, that's the minimum expectation. But I don't know if y'all are familiar with how interest rates work and things like that. It's really, there's almost like no investment where you can get a double return, fairly. And so to get that double return, you usually had to do unethical things and exploit people. So... Uh, the servants that are left in charge would continue to move up in the hierarchy and to prosper themselves because they could skim off the top after they made their return for Archelaus. Um, the more they exploited the people under them. And this was all completely normal. Everybody did it in the economy of the time. Um, but Archelaus was also very violent. He had slaughtered 3,000 Pharisees in the temple when they dared to mount a protest against him. So all of the people he would eventually rule over hated him. And they sent a delegation to Rome to petition the emperor not to make him king. The emperor did make him king, and then they sent another delegation to ask the emperor to fire him. Uh, so they really, really hated him. So he went to become king. They wanted him to lose his job. They wanted him to stay in Rome. But, of course, he was crowned king and came back. Now, with this recent historical backdrop, recent at the time, Jesus tells a story about a nobleman who went away to receive a kingdom. Now, up until we start talking about the third servant, the story conforms to all the expectations of the time. Right? But it kind of takes a left turn when that third servant starts talking. So the third servant makes explicit what the rest of the people in the story seem to be trying to avoid or trying to benefit from. That the master is harsh and exploits others to enrich himself. So while the third servant's words are unpredictable, the master's response is actually very predictable. <laughs> it's exactly the response of Archelaus to the people who protested him. Death to the people who do not want me to rule over them. Moreover, he gives the first servant the money of the third servant, and when people are shocked, the master himself puts into words the ugly truth that everyone might like to avoid, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Um, which actually reminds me of how power dynamics sometimes work. In this day and age, right? If you have power, it's easy to get more of it. If you don't, you're kind of out of luck. You don't have the tools to lift yourself up. So Roy and Herzog and two whole people that I found on the Internet um, argue that instead of Jesus being the nobleman, like we might have assumed, Jesus is the third servant. He's the... <laughs> He's the one who speaks truth to power, who makes explicit what we would rather keep implicit. Unfortunately, in the story, the unpredictable response of the third servant does not change the nobleman. The nobleman doesn't suddenly come to realize the error of his ways and give up his kingdom to the third servant. The nobleman kills the person who pointed out that what he was doing was wrong. Um, context is interesting here because like we said he was just talking to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus was the type of servant or the type of person of influence in the city who also made money by exploiting the people underneath him and we've actually just seen saying Zacchaeus the climbing tree yes and they've actually they probably made him 
while he's telling this story. Well, I've read in your bowl, and I'm going to tell you the story without breaking eye contact. <laughs> that would be well, so what's interesting was that, and yeah, exactly. He's sitting in the house of someone who like participates in this system, right? And what's interesting is Zacchaeus has just repented and he's just said, "I'm going to, you know, stop taking advantage of people and I'm, anyone that I stole from. I'm going to pay back four times." And everybody's like, "This is great." And you have to wonder if you were the followers of Jesus and you're sitting there, you're like, oh man, speaking the truth really does make a difference. If Jesus just starts talking, people will repent and maybe things will not go badly. We will be welcome with open arms. Right? I mean, if you grew off of Zacchaeus' experience, you might think, wow, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and change everything. It's going to be great. Um... But Jesus tells this story instead, and in a way, I wonder if it is a warning to the followers of Jesus. Not that they need to work hard for Jesus when he goes away, but that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem to speak truth to power, and instead of the unpredictable thing happening, the predictable thing will happen. He will not be welcomed with open arms. In fact, he'll be killed. It says he went on to tell a parable, because he was in Jerusalem. Because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So, seeing the story in this new way, uh, there are a few things that I keep thinking about. Um, first, you know, if it's not true that Jesus is the male woman, if he's the third servant, then maybe he doesn't have a cosmic accounting system where he's wrapped up everything he's given me and measuring against what I can do with it. Um, maybe the world measures us by our productivity, but Jesus does not. Maybe he stands up against measuring people by their productivity. Uh, second, that Jesus is freeing us from the burden of controlling outcomes. Uh, he spoke truth to power, and it does not seem like he worried about doing it in such a way that power was like, great, I feel so good about this. Like, he presented the message, and he didn't worry about how it was received. Um, and sometimes I think there's this pressure to, like, if we have good news, to say it in such a way that people feel like it's good news. And sometimes people are just not going to feel like it's good news that Jesus wants to tear down the systems. You know? Like, sometimes that's not going to sound good to people. But that kind of actually frees us up to say, okay, well, if it doesn't sound good to people, then that's all right. Uh, and finally, that, like, one thing I just kept seeing in the commentary about this was, like, over and over, um, that it was about God rewarding people who risk. You know, the third servant buried what he had, but the people who, like, pushed hard, God rewarded them. Um, and it's like this... Like motivation for us to push hard and to use our gifts and not squander things. And the explanation for why it sounded so much like the systems of the day and not like the kingdom of God was that, well, the kingdom of God is a lot like the systems of the day, but it's just that Jesus is going to be a good and benevolent king. And like, for real though, because... He's talking about murdering people here. So, like, (laughs) 
But it's weird because people, like this generally is how people reconcile this. They're like, the system is good, we just need to get Jesus in charge of all this capitalism. Uh, thinking about it in a different way with Jesus as the third servant. Uh, I just keep thinking about how the kingdom of God is going to be a place where there will be no, no woman exploiting us, uh, pushing us to exploit others. And that instead of having an old woman who will kill us, we will have a servant who died for us. Um, what, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? How are you feeling? Here, Lauren. Oh, sorry, three seconds. Three seconds feels like an eternity. There you go. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about, I read a book recently, it was fiction, but it was trying to envision what this time was like as Jesus was walking around with the disciples, and it kept coming up over and over again of him having, some of his disciples were zealots and rebels that really wanted to overthrow the system and, you know, Rome and what was happening to the Jews, and they had already done some things to try to do that. And it's why they were known as the Zealot. And so I wonder if all during Jesus' time he's having to remind them that he's not going to be the one, the king that sets up this new government and the word Jews will rule. And he's subtly trying to remind them constantly of that. And I wonder if this parable is another way of him saying, it ain't going to end like you think it is. Like, it's not, I'm not here to do that. And even though it is unfair and the parable makes you kind of take a step back because it's horrible, it is unfair, but it doesn't end the way you think it should, like we talked about. It doesn't end the way where the nobleman understands and then everything's fine and some of the parables do end like that, but this one doesn't. And so sometimes I wonder if it's another message to the disciples too of it's... It's not going to end that way, you know. And just thinking of, like, what comes up next where Jesus is having to be like, Peter, put your sword away. You know, like, have you not been listening to any of these stories about, like, it ain't going to end like that, yeah. you know. Um, so, yes, he may have been side-eyeing Zacchaeus, who was participating in that. But I wonder, too, if it was for those disciples that were ready for a revolution. 100%, yeah. Yeah. Like at the beginning, when he's like, they suppose the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And he's like telling them, actually, it will not appear immediately. <laughs> and here's what. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it gives me such relief imagining that he's that third slave. Because I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. That's that's who I thought you were. You know, like, defender of the outcast and, you know, like, going against the powers. And, you know, it's like, okay, that's, that's who I know you to be. And so, like, to see this story in a different light, it's like, okay. Bottom lines, I accept it. Yeah. So Herzog, in his book, he's, he like the way that he kind of gets at that, I mean, he gets at it from, like, a studying, like, he dissects the passage, but he's also like, 
you know, everybody keeps thinking that Jesus is the nobleman, but we told this story to some peasants <laughs> in South America, and they were like, no, that cannot be Jesus. And it was really interesting how, like, in our worldview, we're like, oh, I mean, definitely, Jesus is the guy in charge. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that cannot be it. Um, and it's like, yeah, like, I, but I think relief, that, that's the word. That's the word, relief. Just like, oh, you do care about things. <laughs> Yeah, I, I also noticed something too. Is the tension is is that the parable told in Matthew is told differently, mm-hmm. and it is clearly about the kingdom of God because he sets it up as this is yeah, the yeah, kingdom yeah. of God. Yeah, yeah. But that also demonstrates to me, but it's functioning in a different way. Yeah. It's making a different point. Right. But that also demonstrates to me that you have to take context. You have to take not only context of the immediate, but the context of the entire book itself. Yep. Which, if you look at Luke, what's Luke always focusing on? The poor, the outcast, the downtrodden, from Mary's song all the way to the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always, you know, parables that aren't found in any other of the of any other of the gospels are found. In Luke, right. and they're always dealing with the publican and the uh, the publican and the Pharisee. The, you know, it's always dealing with the the person. The publican, of course, is the is the tax collector. You mm-hmm. know, he would be one of these three guys, and yet he actually yep. recognizes that he is being subversive there yep. as well. So I, I think that's the interesting thing, and it it also takes away some tension too yeah. of saying, okay, it functions differently over yeah. here. And I think that's part of our problem is, is we read we read it in Luke and we have to we try to make it fit Matthew. Yeah. And it doesn't. So. Yep. Okay. Uh, okay, I can go. Yes. Okay, I'll go. Are you welcome to say anything to No. Um, what was I gonna say? Um, am I so yeah, uh, a few things. Number one, I, I'm, I'm with you there that the attempts to like, let's smush the four Gospels together and try to create the real account of what happened, I think misses the narrative points that each story makes. Um, I'm, I'm really interested, I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this idea here, this, that the, 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 there are like very specific story beats in his parable that call back to um, Herod that everyone hates mm-hmm. uh, and that rise to sin. And it almost seems to me like this is a compare and contrast mm-hmm. where people are saying, okay, maybe he's, gonna, he's going to Jerusalem and then he's going to be given a kingdom and it's going to be great. And he's like, no, no, no. No, the do you not remember the last time that somebody went somewhere to get a kingdom and how that played out and what that looks like? Mm-hmm. That looks like this, and that is not at all what we're about. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost like a you know the thing that I'm trying that I'm here to do that I'm wanting you to do doesn't fit your framework for what a kingdom is or what that looks like. Mm-hmm. So, like if you want to go down that path, you're going to continue to get the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. We have to do something different. Yep. Well, and I, I just really resonate with that idea of, um, I think that um, the, uh, the religious right and the kind of this idea of we need, we need to get Christians in, into government yeah. and, then, and then this whole problem will get solved. 
It's that same same idea of what you talked about. Because it's like, oh, we just we can stick stick with the same system. We just need to get good people up there, and then the system won't. But but no, there's something wrong with the system. Yeah. And uh, and we need to be looking at you know we need to be living in a, in a different system. So. Okay. I don't think that I don't think the third servant's Jesus. Oh uh, no! I think the third servant is Zacchaeus, who has just given up everything. Yeah, and has just denounced that. I mean, that's it's that's the connection between the two. That's just. It just kind of hit me that might be a possibility. Yeah. Given up or had to take up and because of the result of that, not having the. Well, it's yeah. again, it's not directly parallel, but I think it may be Jesus yeah. is sort of side eyeing Zacchaeus, saying, "Hey, Zach, this is what you just walked into." Yeah, because I mean, you're giving it up. Yeah, I think it's like both. And I, don't, I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't seem upset at Zacchaeus, but I feel like he's yeah, like I guess I wonder if the followers are like, "This is great." Look, Jesus told someone in the system that it was bad and wrong, and they were like, "Cool, this is wonderful. I'll do this." And they're like, no, actually. <laughs> but that's not, that's not like the typical path that we're going to follow. That's not, is what, you know. And it is interesting. It's like the third sermon does nothing, but I think a different way of saying it would be just like he doesn't, he chooses not to participate, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and Zacchaeus is doing that in a way, too. He's saying, like, that the. Herzog calls it the perils of the whistleblower. Mm-hmm. So I think in both situations, Zacchaeus in a way is a whistleblower, and Jesus is a whistleblower. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about like, what you're saying about story beads or the parables is like Jesus does tend to tell the same type of story and use the same framework to make different points. Mm-hmm. And that's because those stories were actually like a common kind of story and a common kind of situation at the time. And it'd be like us, you know, using it like different facets of a situation now. I would say they they they, they reference scriptures at the way we talk about like Seinfeld or other like TV shows. You just you just need to, all you need to say is like one line, and it, the people that know they know, and they're like, oh yeah. Wow. Well, but like if you haven't seen the show, then it doesn't make any sense. Wow. Well, it's also the well. terms of the itinerant preacher too. It's right. a full bag of the itinerant preacher. Exactly. Like, he doesn't go from town to town making up new stories <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I think we're all talking. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you all for discussing. I'm so glad I didn't sleep until 7 p.m. Mess out of this. Uh, let me pray for us really quick God we just um, thank you for your word um, thank you for Jesus and the stories that he told and um, thank you for the way that we can see them in so many different ways that there's not just one way to see it that there's not just one way to understand it but that always behind it you are loving and you are good um, we just ask that you would allow these stories to take root in our hearts, allow your love to take root in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.